0: We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning, and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, March 10th episode. That's episode episode 191 of the Faith Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Wow having trouble with the words today. Um, I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes from Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely worth your while. Great, great listening over there. I would also continue to point you at the final link in my show notes. It is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give Sin Go campaign. We are striving to pay off our mortgage rapidly so that we can shift gears and commence establishment of a christian classic education based school so definitely um well go ahead and click on the link go take a read it's a little bit more thorough description than i just gave you then we would ask three things of you we'd ask you to pray for us we'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us and we would ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same all right well we're going to continue on in our reading in the scriptures today um and let's see, we're gonna go ahead and open up with it being Friday. We'll open up with the sixth day morning prayer. It's called the gospel. Let's pray. O thou most high, creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. All right, and now our devotion for the morning, uh, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for March 10th. The text for it is from Psalm 30, verse 6. In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Moab settled on his lees. He hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Give a man wealth. Let his ships bring home continually rich freights. Let the winds and waves appear to be his servants, to bear his vessel across the bosom of the mighty deep. Let his lands yield abundantly. Let the weather be propitious to his crops. Let uninterrupted success attend him. Let him stand among men as a successful merchant. Let him enjoy continued health. Allow him with braced nerve and brilliant eye to march through the world and live happily. Give him the buoyant spirit. Let him have the song perpetually on his lips. Let his eye be ever sparkling with joy. And the natural consequence of such an easy state to any man let him be the best christian who ever breathed will be presumption even david said i shall never be moved and we are not better than david nor half so good brother beware of the smooth places of the way if you are treading them or if the way be rough thank god for it if god should always rock us in the cradle of prosperity if we were always dandled on the knees of fortune If we had not some stain on the alabaster pillar, if there were not a few clouds in the sky, if we had not some bitter drops in the wine of this life, we should become intoxicated with pleasure. We should dream we stand, and stand we should, but it would be upon a pinnacle, like the man asleep upon the mast. Each moment we should be in jeopardy. We bless God, then, for our afflictions. We thank Him for our changes. We extol His name for losses of property. For we feel that had he not chastened us thus, we might have become too secure. Continued worldly prosperity is a fiery trial. Afflictions, though they seem severe, and mercy oft are sent. All right. Now we're going to be reading in Numbers 14 and 15, more in Mark 14, Psalm 53, and Proverbs 11, verse 4. So let's begin in Numbers 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness! And why is Yahweh bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If Yahweh is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land, and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey." But as for you, only do not rebel against Yahweh, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has been removed from them, and Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of Yahweh appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Yahweh said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me, and how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have done in their midst? I will strike them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to Yahweh, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your power you brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Yahweh, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Yahweh, are seen eye to eye, while your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you put this people to death as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because Yahweh was not able to bring this people into the land, which he swore to them, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. So now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. Yahweh is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So Yahweh said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of Yahweh. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I have done in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his seed shall take possession. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, As I live, declares Yahweh, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even for all your numbered men, according to your complete number from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. "'Your little ones, however, who you said would become plunder, "'I will bring them in, "'so that they will know the land which you have rejected. "'But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness, "'and your sons shall be shepherds for forty years in the wilderness, "'and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness "'until your corpses come to an end in the wilderness, "'according to the number of days which you spied out the land, forty days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, "'even forty years, and you will know my opposition.' I, Yahweh, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to an end, and there they will die. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before Yahweh. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jehuneh remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. Then Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. In the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are, we will go up to the place which Yahweh has promised, because we have indeed sinned. But Moses said, Why then do you trespass against the command of Yahweh when it will not succeed? Do not go up, for Yahweh is not among you, so that you are not defeated before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword inasmuch as you have turned back from following Yahweh, and Yahweh will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh nor Moses moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. All right, in Numbers 15, we're going to read to, from verses 1 to verse 16. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When you enter the land of your place of habitation, which I am going to give you, then make an offering by fire to Yahweh, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow, or as a free will offering, or in your appointed times, to make a soothing aroma to Yahweh, from the herd or from the flock, and the one who brings his offering near shall bring near to Yahweh a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah, a fine flour, mixed with one-fourth of a hen of oil. And you shall prepare wine for the drink offering, one-fourth of a hen, with the burnt offering, or for the sacrifice for each lamb. Or for a ram, you shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour, mixed with one-third of a hen of oil. And for the drink offering you shall bring near one third of a hin of wine, as a soothing aroma to Yahweh. And when you prepare a bull for the herd as a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or for peace offering to Yahweh, then you shall bring near with the bull from the herd a grain offering of three tenths of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with one half a hin of oil. And you shall bring near as the drink offering one half a hin of wine, as an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to Yahweh. Thus it shall be done for each ox, or for each ram, or for each of the male lambs, or of the goats, according to the number that you prepare. So you shall do. Excuse me. So you shall do for everyone according to their number. All who are native shall do these things in this manner, and bringing near an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to Yahweh. And if a sojourner sojourns with you, or one who may be among you throughout your generations, and he offers an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to Yahweh, just as you do, so he shall do. As for the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the sojourner who sojourns with you, a perpetual statute throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the sojourner be before Yahweh. There shall be one law and one judgment for you and for the sojourner who sojourns with you. All right. And now Mark 14 verses 53 through 72. And I spilled my coffee. Okay. Then they led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. And Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the officers and warning himself, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were seeking to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. And some, standing up, were giving false testimony against him, saying, We ourselves heard him say, I will destroy this sanctuary made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. And not even in this way was their testimony consistent. And the high priests stood up in their midst and questioned Jesus, saying, You answer nothing. What are these men testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again the high priest was questioning him and said to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And tearing his tunics, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And some began to spit at him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him with their fists, and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers received him with slaps in the face. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the entryway. And when the servant girl saw him, she began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again he was denying it. And after a little while, while the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are also a Galilean. But he began began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. And immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said the statement to him. Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And throwing himself down, he began to cry. Psalm 53 For the choir director, according to Mehalath, the mascal of David, a mascal of David. The wicked fool says in his heart, there is no God. They act corruptly and commit abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who has insight. Any one who seeks after god every one of them has turned back together they have become worthless there is no one who does good not even one do the workers of iniquity not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon god there they were in great dread where no dread had been for god scattered the bones of him who encamped against you you put them to shame because god had rejected them Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his captive people, may Jacob rejoice. May Israel be glad. And finally, Proverbs 11, verse 4. Wealth will not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness will deliver from death. All right. Well, that was our reading for the day. Um, Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope it's been edifying for you. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And God willing, I will see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, The prayer we're going to close with today is called Resting on God. It's one of my favorites out of here. Let's pray. O God, most high, most glorious, the thought of thine infinite serenity cheers me, for I am toiling and boiling, troubled and distressed but thou art forever at perfect peace. Thy designs cause thee no fear or care of unfulfillment. They stand fast as the eternal hills. Thy power knows no bond, thy goodness no stint. Thou bringest order out of confusion, and my defeats are thy victories. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I come to thee as a sinner with cares and sorrows, to leave every concern entirely to thee, every sin calling for Christ's precious blood. Revive deep spirituality in my heart, Let me live near to the great shepherd, hear his voice, know its tones, follow its calls. Keep me from deception by causing me to abide in the truth, from harm by helping me to walk in the power of the Spirit. Give me intenser faith in the eternal verities, burning into me by experience the things I know. Let me never be ashamed of the truth of the gospel, that I may bear its reproach, vindicate it, see Jesus as its essence, know in it the power of the Spirit. Lord, help me, for I am often lukewarm and chill." unbelief mars my confidence sin makes me forget thee let the weeds that grow in my soul be cut at their roots grant me to know that i truly live only when i live to thee that all else is trifling thy presence alone can make me holy devout strong and happy abide in me gracious god amen well again i hope you have a wonderful day and i hope to see you this evening have a good one god bless Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, March 10th episode. That's episode 191 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing Podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us over at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. Definitely worth your time. A lot of good listening over there. More than you'll have time for, believe me. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get in. We're going to be continuing in our reading of Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. Again, This is not just for men. Okay. He's talking about the godly person, the godly person's picture. This is what the godly person should look like. And we've dealt with in chapter four with all the different characteristics we taught. We dealt with in in chapter five with the conclusion. And in this one, we're going to deal with part of chapter six, which is an exhortation to godliness, an exhortation. I'm sure you and I both need, we all need it. So let's go and open up uh, the prayer. We're going to open up with from Valley of vision. Wow, I keep seeing Valley Valley of Vision is praise and thanksgiving. Let's pray. Oh my God, thou fairest greatest first of all objects. My heart admires, excuse me, adores, loves thee. For my little vessel is as full as it can be. And I would pour out all that fullness before thee in ceaseless flow. When I think upon and converse with thee, ten thousand delightful thoughts spring up. Ten thousand sources of pleasure are unsealed. TEN THOUSAND REFRESHING joys SPREAD OVER MY HEART, CROWDING INTO EVERY MOMENT OF HAPPINESS. I BLESS THEE FOR THE SOUL THOU HAST CREATED, FOR ADORNING IT, SANCTIFYING IT, THOUGH IT IS FIXED IN barren SOIL, FOR THE BODY THOU HAST GIVEN ME, FOR PRESERVING ITS STRENGTH AND VIGOR, FOR PROVIDING SENSES TO ENJOY DELIGHTS, FOR THE EASE AND FREEDOM OF MY LIMBS, FOR HANDS, EYES, EARS THAT DO THY BIDDING, FOR THY ROYAL BOUNTY PROVIDING MY DAILY SUPPORT, FOR A FULL TABLE AND OVERFLOWING CUP. For appetite, taste, sweetness, for social joys of relatives and friends, for ability to serve others, for a heart that feels sorrows and necessities, for a mind to care for my fellow men, for opportunities of spreading happiness around, for loved ones in the joys of heaven, for my own expectation of seeing Thee clearly. I love Thee above the power of language to express, for what Thou art to Thy creatures. Increase my love, O my God, through time and eternity. Amen. All right. And now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's morning and evening for March 10th. The text is from Job 14 1. Man is of few days and full of trouble. It may be of great service to us before we fall asleep to remember this mournful fact, for it may lead us to set loose by to, to set loose by earthly things. There is nothing very pleasant in the re- recollection that we are not above the shafts of adversity but it may humble us and prevent our boasting like the psalmist in our morning's portion. My mountain standeth firm, I shall never be moved. It may stray us from taking too deep root in this soil from which we are so soon to be transplanted into the heavenly garden. Let us recollect the frail tenure upon which we hold our temporal mercies. If we would remember that all all the trees of earth are marked for the woodsman's axe, we should not be so ready to build our nests in them. We should love, but we should love with the love which expects death, and which reckons upon separations. Our dear relations are but loaned to us, and the hour when we must return them to the lender's hand may be even at the door. The like is certainly true of our worldly goods. Do not riches take to themselves wings and fly away? Our health is equally precarious. Frail flowers of the field we must not reckon upon blooming forever. There is a time appointed for weakness and sickness, when we shall have to glorify God by suffering, and not by earnest activity. There is no single point in which we can hope to escape from the sharp arrows of affliction. Out of our few days there is not one secure from sorrow. Man's life is a cask full of bitter wines. He who looks for joy in it had better seek for honey in an ocean of brine. Beloved reader, Set not your affections upon things of earth, but seek those things which are above. For here the moth devoureth, and the thief breaketh through. But there all joys are perpetual and eternal. The path of trouble is the way home. Lord, make this thought a pillow for many a weary head. Amen. What a good one. All right. So now. We are, like I said, we're going to get into Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture, and this is Chapter 6, An Exhortation to Godliness. We're going to deal with the first three sections of it. Um, uh, <clears throat> so, here we go. And we'll see how this goes. I tried to mark it so I would know where to stop, but it's not... Sorry, I'm reading it online, but even on the tablet, the electronic version doesn't have the same... It has the same divisions, but it's not as easy to tell them as it is in the book itself. So let's see how this. Goes. Let's see if I see if I don't fall all over this. All right. So the Godly Man's Picture by Thomas Watson, Chapter Six: An Exhortation to Godliness. From all that has been said, I would draw three great uses. Number one: Strive for godliness. Chapter Six. Number two: Persevere in godliness. Chapter Eight. Number three, take counsel in godliness, chapter nine. So use one. So I guess this first one is going to be striving for godliness. Use one. Those who are still in their natural condition, who have never yet relished any sweetness in the things of God, let me beseech them for the love of Christ to strive to get these characteristics characteristics of the godly engraved on their hearts. Though godliness is the object of the world's scorn and hatred, as in Tertullian's day, the name of a Christian was a crime, yet do not be ashamed to espouse godliness. Know that persecuted godliness is better than prosperous wickedness. What will all the world avail a man without godliness? To be learned and godly is like a devil transformed into an angel of light. To be beautiful and ungodly is like a lovely picture hung in an infected room. To be honourable in the world and ungodly is like an ape dressed in purple, or like that image which had a head of gold on feet of clay. Daniel 2 32 and 33. It is godliness which ennobles and consecrates the heart, making God and angels fall in love with it. Labour for the reality of godliness. Do not rest in the common workings of God's Spirit. Do not think it is enough to be intelligent and discursive. A man may discourse. I'm sorry, a man-made discourse about piety to the admiration of others, and yet not feel the sweetness of those things in his own soul. The lute gives a melodious sound to others, but it is not at all sensible of the sound itself. Judas could make an elegant discourse about Christ, but did not feel virtue from him. Do not rest in having your affections a little stirred. A hypocrite may have actions that uh, may—I'm sorry—a hypocrite may have affections of sorrow like Ahab, or affections of desire like Balaam. These are slight and flashy, and do not amount to real godliness. Oh, labor to be like the king's daughter, glorious within Psalm 45:13, that I may persuade the sons of men to become godly. I will lay down some forceful motives and arguments, and may the Lord make them like nails fastened by His Spirit. Let men seriously weigh, number one, their misery while they remain in a state of ungodliness. That may make them hasten out of this Sodom. The misery of ungodly men appears in nine particulars. Number one, they are in a state of spiritual death, dead in trespasses, Ephesians 2.1. Dead they must be, for they are cut off from Christ, the principle of life. The principle of life. For as the body without the soul is dead, so is the soul without Christ. This spiritual death is visible in the effect. It bereaves men of their senses. Sinners have no sense of God in them, being without feeling, Ephesians 4.19. All their moral endowments are but strewing flowers on a dead corpse. And what is hell but a sepulchre in which to bury the dead? Number two, their offerings are polluted. Not only the plowing, but the praying of the wicked is sin. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, Proverbs 21.4 and 15.8. If the water is foul in the well, it cannot be clean in the bucket. If the heart is full of sin, the duties cannot be pure. What a strait every ungodly person is in. If he does not come to the ordinance, he despises he despises it. If he does come, he defiles it. Number 3. Those who live and die ungodly have no right to the covenant of grace. At that time you were without Christ, strangers from the covenants of providence. Uh, sorry, strangers from the covenants of promise, Ephesians 2.12. And to be without the covenant is to be like someone in the old world without an ark. The covenant is the charter of the gospel, which is enriched with many glorious privileges. But who may plead the benefit of this covenant? Surely only those whose hearts are inlaid with grace. Read the charter. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will be your God, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 28. A person dying in his ungodliness has no more to do with the new covenant than a plowman has to do with the privileges of a corporation. God's writing always comes before his seal. You are declared to be the epistle of Christ, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not in tablets of stone but in fleshly tablets of the heart. 2 Corinthians 3.3 3. Here is a golden epistle. The writing is at the work of faith. The tablet it is written on is the heart. The finger that writes it is the Spirit. Now after the Spirit's writing follows the Spirit's sealing. After you believed, you were sealed with the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 That is, you were sealed with an assurance of glory. What do ungodly men have to do with the seal of the covenant? When they do not have the writing itself. Number four, the ungodly are spiritual fools. I said to the fools, do not deal foolishly, and to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Psalm 75.4 If someone had a child that was very beautiful, yet if he were a fool, the parent would take little joy in him. The scripture has dressed the sinner in a fool's coat. And let me tell you, it is better to be a fool void of reason than a fool void of grace. That would be the devil's fool. Fools mock at sin. Proverbs 14.9 Is he not a fool who refuses a rich portion? God offers Christ and salvation. Sorry, but the sinner refuses this portion. Israel would have none of me, Psalm 81.11. Is he not a fool who prefers an annuity to an inheritance? Is he not a fool who tends his mortal part and neglects his angelic part, as if a man were to paint the wall of his house and let the timber rot? Is he not a fool who would feed the devil with his own soul, like that emperor who fed his lion with pheasant? Is he not a fool who lays a snare for himself, Proverbs one, eighteen who counsels shame for his house, Habakkuk 2.10, who loves death, Proverbs 8.36. Number 5. The ungodly are vile people. I will dig your grave, for you are vile, Nahum 1.14. Sin makes men base, it blots their name, it taints their blood. They have altogether become filthy, Psalm 14.3. In the Hebrew it is they have become stinking, However bad, you, however bad you call wicked men, you cannot call them worse than their name deserves. They are swine, Matthew seven six; vipers, Matthew three seven; devils, John six seventy. The wicked are dross and refuse, Psalm 119, 119. and heaven is too pure to have any dross mingled with it. Number six, their temporal mercies are stayed in judgment. The wicked may have health and estate, yes, even more than the heart can wish. Psalm 73, 7. But their table is a snare. Psalm sixty-nine twenty-two, Sinners have their mercies with God's permission, but not with his love. The people of Israel would have been better without their quails than to have such sour sauce. The ungodly are usurpers. They lack a spiritual title to what they possess. Their good things are like cloth picked up at the drapers, which is not paid for. Death will bring a sad reckoning in the end. Number 7. Their temporal judgments are not removed in mercy. Pharaoh had ten arrows shot at him, ten plagues, and all those plagues were removed. But his heart remained hard, so those plagues were not removed in mercy. It was not a preservation, but a reservation. God reserved him as a signal monument of his his justice when he was drowned in the depths of the sea. God may reprieve men's lives when he does not remit their sins. The wicked may have sparing mercy, but not saving mercy. Number eight, the ungodly while they live are exposed to the wrath of God. He that does not believe the wrath of God abides on him. John three thirty six. Whoever lacks grace is like someone who lacks a pardon. Every hour he is in fear of execution. How can a wicked man rejoice? Over his head hangs the sword of God's justice and under him hellfire burns. Number nine, the ungodly at death must undergo God's fury and indignation. The wicked shall be turned to hell. Psalm 9.17 I have read of a lodestone in Ethiopia which has two corners. With one it attracts iron, and with the other it repels it. So God has two hands, one mercy and one one of mercy and one of justice. With the one he will draw the godly to heaven. With the other he will thrust the sinner to hell. And oh, how dreadful is that place. It is called a fiery lake revelation 2015 a lake to denote the many torments in hell and a fiery lake to show the fierceness of the punishment strabo in his geography mentions a lake in galilee of such a corrosive nature that it scalds the skin sorry scalds the skin off whatever is thrown into it but alas that lake is cool compared with this fiery lake into which the damned are thrown to demonstrate that this fire is terrible there are two most pernicious qualities in it Number 1, it is sulfurous. It is mixed with brimstone, Revelation 21:8, which is unsavory and suffocating. Number 2, it is inextinguishable. The wicked shall be choked in the flames, but shall not be consumed. And the devil was cast into the lake into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever, Revelation 20:10. Behold the deplorable condition of all ungodly ones in the eternal world. They shall have a life which always dies and a death which always lives. Would this not frighten men out of their sins and make them become godly unless they are resolved to test how hot hellfire is? Number two, what rare people the godly are. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. Proverbs 12, 26, like the flower of, of the sun, like the wine of Lebanon, like the sparkling on Aaron's breastplate. Such is the oriental splendor of a person embellished with godliness. The excellence of the godly appears in seven particulars. Number one, the godly are precious. Therefore they are set apart for God. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, Psalm 4, 3. We set apart things that are precious. The godly are set apart as God's peculiar treasure, Psalm 135, 4. As his garden of delight, song, Song of Songs, 4.12 As his Royal Diadem, Isaiah 62.3 The godly are the excellent of the earth, Psalm 16.3 Comparable to fine gold, Lamentations 4.2 Doubly refined, Zechariah 13.9 The glory of creation, Isaiah 46.13 Origin compares the saints to sapphires and crystal. God calls them his jewels, Malachi 3.17 They are jewels, one for their value. Diamonds, says Pliny, were not known for a long time except among princes, and were hung on their diadems. God so values his people that he will give kingdoms for their ransom. Isaiah 43.3 He laid down his best jewel, Christ, as security for them. John 3.16 Number two, for their luster. If one pearl of grace shines so brightly that it delights Christ's heart, you have ravished my heart with one of your eyes. Song of Songs 4.9 that is one of your graces, then how illustrious are all the graces together in a constellation. Number two, the godly are honorable. You have been honorable, Isaiah 43, 4. The godly are a crown of glory in the hand of God, Isaiah 62, 3. They are plants of renown, Ezekiel 16, 14. They are not only vessels of mercy, but vessels of honor, 2 Timothy 2, 21. Aristotle calls honor the chief good thing. The godly are near. Near akin to the blessed Trinity, they have the tutelage and guardianship of angels. They have God's name written upon them, Revelation 3:12, and the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, Second Timothy 1:14. The godly are a sacred priesthood. The priesthood under the law was honorable. The king's daughter was wife to Jehoiada the priest, Second Chronicles 22:11. It was a custom among the Egyptians to have their kings chosen from their priests. The saints are a divine priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. 1 Peter two nine, They are co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8.17. They are kings, Revelation 1.6. Fulverinus tells of an ancient king who invited a company of poor Christians and made them a great feast. On being asked why he showed so much respect to people of such poor birth and extraction, he told them, these I must honor as the children of the Most High God. They will be kings and princes with me in the eternal world. The godly are in some sense higher than the angels. The angels are Christ's friends. These are his spouse. The angels are called morning stars, Job 38, 7, but the saints are clothed with the sun of righteousness, Revelation 12, 1. All men, says Chrysostom, are ambitious for honor. Behold, then, the honor of the godly. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom, though it costs all you have. Get understanding. Esteem her and she will promote you. Embrace her and she will bring you honor. Proverbs 4, 7, and 8. The trophies of the saints' renown will be erected in another world. Number three, the godly are beloved by God. The excellence of Jacob, whom he loved. Psalm 47, 4. A holy heart is the garden where God plants the flower of his love. God's love to His people is an ancient love; it dates from eternity. Ephesians one four. He loves them with a choice, distinguishing love. They are the dearly beloved of His soul. Jeremiah twelve seven. The men of the world have bounty dripping from God's fingers, but the godly have love dripping from God's heart. He gives to one a golden cup, to the other a golden golden kiss. He loves the godly as he loves Christ. John 17, 26. It is the same love in kind, though not in degree. Here the saints but sip of God's love, and heaven they shall drink of rivers of pleasure. Psalm 36, 8. And this love of God is permanent. Permanent, Death may take their life away from them, but not God's love. I have loved you with a love of perpetuity. Jeremiah 3, 31, 3. Number four, the godly are prudent people. They have good insight and good foresight. Number one, they have good insight. He who is spiritual judges all things, 1 Corinthians two fifteen. The godly have insight into people and things. They have insight into people because they have the anointing of God. And by a spirit of discerning, they can see some differences between the precious and the vile, Jeremiah 15, 19. God's people are not censorious, but judicious. They can see a wanton heart through a naked breast and a painted face. They can see a revengeful spirit through a bitter tongue. They can guess at the tree by the fruit. Matthew 12.33 They can see the plague tokens of sin appearing in the wicked, which makes them leave the tents of those sinners. Number 16.26 The godly have insight into things that are mysterious. A. They can see much of the mystery of their own hearts. Take the greatest politician who understands the mystery of state, yet he does not understand the mystery of his own heart. You will hear him swear that his heart is good, but a child of God sees much heart corruption in himself first kings eight thirty eight though some flowers of grace grow grow there, he will still he still sees how fast the weeds of sin grow, and therefore he is continually weeding his heart by repentance and mortification b The godly can discern the mystery of the times. The children of Issachar were men that had understanding of the times first chronicles twelve thirty two the godly can see when an age runs to the dregs, when God's name is dishonored, his messengers despised, his gospel eclipsed. The people of God labor to keep their garments pure. Revelation 16, 15. Their care is that the times may not be the worse for them, nor they be the worse for the times. C. The godly understand the mystery of living by faith. They just shall live by, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38. They can trust God where they cannot trace him. They can get comfort out of a promise, just as Moses got water out of the rock. Exodus 17.6 Though the fig tree does not blossom, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk 3.17 2. They have good foresight. A. They foresee the evil of a temptation. We are not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians 2.11 The wicked swallow temptations like pills, and when it is too late, they feel these pills, pills grip their conscience. But the godly foresee a temptation and will not come near. They see a snake under the green grass. They know that Satan's kindness is craftiness. He does as, Jep- as Jephthah's daughter. He brings out the timbrel and dances before men with a temptation and then brings them very low. Judges eleven thirty four and 35. B. They foresee temporal dangers. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. Proverbs 22, 3. The people of God see when the cloud of wrath is ready to drop on a nation, and they get into their chambers, Isaiah 26.20, which are the attributes and promises of God, and into the clefts of the rock, which are the bleeding wounds of Christ, and they hide themselves there. Therefore they may well be baptized with the name Wise Virgins, Matthew 25.25. 25. The godly are the bulwark of a nation. O oh, my Father, the chariot of Israel, and its horsemen, Second 2 Kings 2.12. The godly are the pillars that keep a city and nation from falling. They stave off judgment from a land. It was said of old that so long as Hector lived, Troy could not be demolished. God would do nothing to Sodom until Lot had gone out of it. Genesis 19.22 Golden Christians are bronze walls. The Lord would soon break up the house of the world if it were not for the sake of a few pious ones. Would God preserve the world only for drunkards and swearers? He would soon sink the ship of church and state, if not that some of his elect were in it. Yet such is the indiscretion of some men that they injure the saints and consider them burdens, who are indeed the chief blessings. Isaiah 19.24 6. The godly are of a brave, heroic spirit. My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit, I will bring him into the land. Numbers 14.24 An excellent spirit was found in Daniel. Daniel 5.12 the godly hate what is base and sordid; they will not enrich their purses by enslaving their conscience. They are noble and courageous in God's cause. The righteous are bold as a lion. Proverbs twenty-eight one. The saints live suitably to their high birth; they breathe after the phrase. They can trust God's heart, where they cannot trace His hand. Is not is not Watson's, though often attributed to. Um, Charles Spurgeon it is actually taken from the promised land by John Macduff 1859 Spurgeon's sermon number 736 a happy Christian in 1867 said the Christian believes God to be too wise to err and too good to be unkind he trusts him where he cannot trace him like Watson there is no heart and no hand in that text only in Macduff's God's love they aspire God's love I'm sorry, text only in Macduff's. God's love. They aspire after glory. They set their feet where worldly men set their hearts. They display the banner of the gospel, lifting up Christ's name and interest in the world. Number seven. The godly are happy people. King Balak sent to curse the people of God. Sorry, I changed pages there. <sighs> King Balak sent, the, sent to curse the people of God, but the Lord would not allow it. God said to Balaam, You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Numbers 22.12 And Moses afterwards records it as a memorable thing that God turned the king's intended curse into a blessing. The Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Deuteronomy twenty-three five. They must be happy who are always on the strongest side. The Lord is on my side. Psalm 118.6 They are happy who have all conditions sanctified for them. Romans 8.28 Who are crowned with peace while they live. Psalm 119.165 And crowned with glory when they die. Psalm 73.24 And may this not tempt everyone to become godly. Happy are you, O Israel, a people saved by the Lord. Deuteronomy 33.29 Number three, to endeavor for godliness is most rational. Number one. It is the highest act of treason to become another man. If while he remains in nature's soil, he is poisoned with sin, and no more actually fit for communion with God, then a toad is fit to be an angel. Then it is very consonant with reason that he should endeavor for a change. It is rational because this change is for the better. Now are you light in the Lord, Ephesians 5.8. Would not anyone be willing, willing to exchange a dark prison for a king's palace? Would he not exchange his brass for gold? You who become godly change for the better. You change your pride for humility. You change your uncleanness for holiness. You change a lust that will damn you for a Christ who will save you. If men were not besotted, if their fall had not knocked their brains out, they would see it as the most rational thing in the world to become godly. All right. That is our reading for the day. Sorry, that was kind of a long one, but that was our reading for the day. Again, I hope this time in Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture has been beneficial to you. It has for me, but I hope it has been for you. I hope you have a wonderful evening, and God willing, I hope to see you in the morning. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to close like we usually do with the six-day evening prayer. It's called The Mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are they witnessed, witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by Thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory, for Thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all Thy concerns with us through a Mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be Prince and Savior. To Him we look, on Him we depend, through Him we are justified. May we derive relief from His sufferings without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of His blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in His service as well as in His sacrifice. Be constrained by His love. To live not to ourselves, but to Him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining. If our wishes are not indulged or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits, may we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a great night and I hope to see you in the morning. Have a good one. God bless. (music)